Father, thank you for this chance to come together to worship Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the the wonderful music and how we've sung about Jesus. This morning, we're asking that you would speak to us in a powerful and real way, that you would touch our hearts. Lord, you've promised to send us your Holy Spirit, that you've promised to fill us with Jesus. This morning, You've promised to speak to us and we're claiming these promises and asking that you would speak to us in a special way. Lord, in the silence of our own hearts, we just want to open up our hearts and to ask you to speak to us in a special way today. Thank you, Father, so much for hearing, for answering. Thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit on us this morning, for speaking to us. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This past week, on Wednesday, I was going to catch a ride with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law over to Bakersfield, California, where my wife had been all week with her family. We were going to celebrate Christmas together, and thankfully they live up in Monterey, so it's right on the way for them to come by on the 101, and they were going to come by and pick me up. And they said, well, can we stop at your house on the way, and we need to let the dogs out. They have two dogs actually three right now, but we'll get to that in a second. They have two dogs who uh, are like grandkids to my in-laws. They just love them to death. And they wanted to, to drop them off in the backyard just to, for a potty break on the way to, uh, to Bakersfield because they'd been in the car for a couple hours. So they pull up at our house and they have another dog with them who their sis- my brother-in-law's sister uh, has loaned to them because she doesn't have a place for it to live right now. This dog's name is Baby. I'm going to put Baby up on the screen. Isn't Baby cute? Well, she's, she's cute in her own way. <clears throat> Baby is a, is a very obedient, kind dog. And as Emily got out, she told me about Baby has, is just amazing. She'll stay right on her bed. Here I am riding in the passenger seat, Emily said. And as I'm writing, she's just sitting on her bed. She doesn't move. She, doesn't, she just sleeps right on the floorboard, right under my legs. Baby is such an obedient dog. She loves her bed. She stays on her bed. She's such a good dog. She's a well-trained dog. And they were telling me about Baby. And they, they took Baby and they dropped her and the other two dogs off in, the, in our backyard. They were going to use our backyard for a minute. And they went inside the house. And I was loading my bags into the car. We came back out and they said, okay, I think the dogs have had enough of a break. Let's load them back up. So they walked over and they got the first big dog and they took it and put it in the back of the car. And then Emily and I were walking up to the gate and and I said, okay, I'll open the gate and then you watch because her other dog, Lily, can sometimes bolt really fast. So we're like, we'll watch carefully and we'll open the gate slowly. So we walk up to the gate and as we open it up, we're just barely opening it up. We just get it open this wide when suddenly there's this white blur. And what was that? And all of a sudden, Emily says, it's Baby. And I look, and there is Baby. And Baby is headed up Main Street, Templeton, as fast as her little legs will carry her. I don't know what she thought when I opened the gate and she sees this six-foot-tall guy standing there in the dark, but apparently it was a very scary thing. But she got even more scared when I began chasing her up the street full speed. So I'm running up Main Street Templeton as fast as I can, chasing after Baby, trying to get Baby to stop. And Baby's a lot faster than she looks. I'm chasing Baby, and Baby doesn't realize that I want good for Baby's life. 
There are cars on Main Street that don't want good for baby's life. And I'm wanting to stop these cars. So she's running up the sidewalk, but I decided that I was going to run up the street a little bit so that the cars would see that there's a dog and there's a crazy guy running up the street and that they would start slowing down. Sure enough, the cars start to slow down. I was doing everything possible to get to baby. But baby was confused. Baby didn't recognize that the person who she thought was chasing her, was trying to hurt her, was going to inflict some kind of harm upon her was actually the one who just wanted to help her. Finally, I chased her up. I don't know, it was probably a couple hundred yards. Finally, she, she ran out of steam and I caught up to her and I finally was putting my hand down and she just laid over on her back. She just fell there, finally let me pick her up and all the cars, they were just stopped there in the middle of the road and finally they went on and life went about usual. I told baby, baby, I just wanted to help you. Why, why were you running from me? I don't understand. And when we got back to the car, Emily and Eric said, we don't understand. Baby is such a good dog. She doesn't usually bolt like that. Apparently she does when she sees a big six-foot guy chasing her. But you know, sometimes we can get a little confused about what God is really trying to do in our lives. Sometimes we find ourselves running And not really recognizing that we're running away from God when all along He's pursuing us, just trying to look out for our good, just trying to help us. You know, we've been talking about how Jesus showed up in unexpected ways. He showed up in ways that people weren't looking for. You have the angel coming and looking for anybody. He went through Jerusalem and no, there's nobody there expecting Jesus. But finally he gets to these shepherds out on the hillside and finally finds somebody that's looking for the Messiah, looking for Jesus to be born. Last week we talked about how it was people all the way in the east, probably 400 miles away, who Jesus is finally welcomed by. They're willing to take this long journey in order to welcome Jesus and to give Him rich gifts. The first to worship Jesus, the first to give Him gifts, are these foreigners who come from 400 miles away. You see, in reading the Old Testament, some of the Jews had been confused by what they'd read. Go with me to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7. Here, God is revealing what He is planning to do, what He's going to do in Jesus. And, and people looked at this as a prophecy about what was going to happen at the temple, what was going to happen when the Messiah came, and what it was going to look like, how beautiful it was going to be. Haggai chapter 2 says, And I will shake all nations, and they will come to the what? The desire of all nations. The one who everybody is looking for. All the nations are looking for this Messiah to come. Everybody is looking for Him. They will all come to the desire of nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So the Jews, as they read these prophecies, they are thinking, wow, when the Messiah comes, he's finally going to make this place amazing. He's going to make it the most glorious place, the most beautiful place. This is going to be spectacular. And in their expectation, they missed Jesus. 
in what they were looking for, in that they were looking for outward show, they were looking for outward beauty, they were looking for God to change their outward circumstances, they wanted God to come and to rout the Romans, they missed Jesus. Just look at Luke chapter 2. Our scripture focus for today, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, it says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. That's the Greek for Joshua in the Old Testament, the name which means Yahweh saves. His name means that he's a savior. God tried to make it as clear as possible. Yahweh saves. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. So first of all, you had eight days. He was circumcised. He was named. And then you have 40 more days for the purification after having given birth. According to the law of Moses, were completed. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Jerusalem was about five miles from Bethlehem. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Every firstborn child that was born was dedicated to God. They had to be redeemed. You had to come and bring a redemption price to buy them back because God was representing that he was going to give his firstborn child. And Jesus went through all these steps, just like he went through baptism. He went through each of these steps to give us an example and to reveal how he was fulfilling all of these Old Testament promises. We continue on in verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, if we go back to Leviticus chapter 12, we realize that this isn't what every person was supposed to bring. Those who could afford it were supposed to bring a lamb for their child for this dedication. But this reveals something about Mary and Joseph. They're humble, they're poor. And there was provision in Leviticus 12 and verse 8 that you could bring the turtle dove or the pigeon instead of bringing the lamb. And that's what Mary and Joseph do because that's all that they can afford. That's all that they have. And so they bring just these two birds for the sacrifice. Now, when this took place, you would come to the temple and you'd bring your child and you'd have this sin offering and you'd also have this special dedication they would take place and you would take this child and you'd bring them to the priest. And the priest would take the child and he'd say a little blessing. He'd hold the child up by the altar and then he'd give the, the child back to the parents and then he would write down in a scroll the name. Can you imagine as that priest that day holds God himself in human flesh in his hands He says his little blessing and he holds him up there and then passes him back. And then he writes down on that scroll the name that means absolutely everything to him, but he doesn't realize it. He misses the entire point. He he writes down Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. It means that he's the Savior. He's the one that comes to save his people from their sins. He writes that name down on the scroll, missing the entire point. Because as he looked at Jesus... It was just this humble child from a humble family and it it wasn't the glory that he was expecting. It didn't change his outward circumstances. It wasn't everything that he was looking for and so he missed Jesus. He missed this incredible opportunity 
to see Jesus and to be the first to recognize that the desire of all nations had come. He didn't recognize that at that moment, what Haggai had prophesied was actually taking place in that temple, that the glory in that place was exceeding Solomon's temple, the the temple that that was so beautiful with all the gold and all the glory that, that God himself had come down and revealed his glory with the Shekinah glory. All of that was exceeded by this tiny baby named Jesus, this humble baby that he didn't recognize. This makes me think in my own life, am I prone to miss Jesus? Is it possible that I could study the Bible and I could know the prophecies and I could have a lot of facts down and yet I could miss Jesus? Is it possible that I can believe in Jesus and I can go to church and I can sit in the pew and yet miss Jesus? I don't want to miss Jesus. How about you? This Christmas, I want to make sure that Jesus has my whole heart. And yet, it is all too easy for us to miss Jesus. In the Desire of Ages, chapter 56, a chapter that talks about this dedication scene, Isaiah chapter 56, it says, So it is still. Events upon which the attention of all heaven is centered are undiscerned. Their very occurrence is unnoticed by religious leaders and worshipers in the house of God. Things are taking place. Jesus is showing up. God is fulfilling prophecy. Great things are happening. And yet, so often, we tend to miss it. Men acknowledge Christ in history while they turn away from the living Christ, Christ in His Word calling to self-sacrifice in the poor and suffering who plead for relief, in the righteous cause that involves poverty and toil and reproach, is no more readily received today than He was 1,800 years ago. That's challenging, isn't it? To think that, that I might miss Jesus living in America in a Christian country coming to worship on Sabbath in a Seventh-day Adventist church, wanting to know Jesus, reading my Bible, and yet it's possible that in all of that I might miss Jesus. I don't want to miss Jesus. How about you? So maybe as we look at the story of Simeon, we can recognize some things that can help to make sure that we don't miss Jesus this Christmas and this year in our lives. Because there's nothing more important than ensuring that Jesus has our heart, our entire heart. Continuing in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just, meaning he was righteous, he was somebody that followed the law, and devout. He's wholehearted about his worship, about his following after God. Waiting for the consolation of, of Israel. That word consolation, paraclesis, is, is similar to the word paraclete. It's similar to the word comfort. You could translate it comfort or consolation, that, that restoration that they were looking for the Messiah to bring. So here Simeon comes and he's been waiting, he's been looking, he's been longing for Jesus to come. We've been talking about in Hebrews 9.28, it says that Jesus is coming again and He's going to be coming for those who look for Him. Those who are waiting for Him. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon Him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, so you imagine, Jesus has just been blessed by this priest, and then he hands him to the child, when all the, to the parents, when all of a sudden up comes this old man who comes and he grabs this child in his hands. Says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Here he picks up this humble little child and he holds him in his arms and he says, This is what I've been waiting for. And he holds him up and he says, it's enough. Now I can die in peace. It's, it's enough, God. This is what I've been living for. I've been waiting for this moment. Everything that matters to me is now being held in my arms. Here is Jesus. This is everything to me. It's okay, God. At this point, I can depart and I can die in peace because my life is fulfilled I have now seen the desire of all nations. Simeon got it. Simeon saw what Jesus was coming to do. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he says, not only is it for me that I see this, your salvation and I, I, I'm, I'm at peace here, he says, but my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning all the nations of the world. This is for the entire world. That's what we find again and again in these stories that God is trying to reveal to the Jews that this isn't just for you, but this is for all nations. This is so that the gospel, so that the good news can go to everyone. So often in my life, I'm focused on God fixing these problems that I have in my life, fixing the outward circumstances, the things that are going on in my life. But God has such a bigger picture of what he wants to do. The Jews didn't recognize that God had a bigger picture for them, that he wanted them to become a light to all nations, to reveal the loving character of God to the entire world. They were just focused on their day-to-day problems and how they had these Roman soldiers around who, who could force them to carry their burdens for them. They had this oppressive yoke on them from the Romans, and all they could think about was the Messiah must be coming in order to get rid of the Romans. And in the process, they missed what Jesus was really wanting to do. And in my life, oftentimes I realize that I'm distracted from what God's actually really wanting to do in my heart. I'm focused on so many different things, on on the outward circumstances and how God's going to change these situations in my life. And, And all I want is for God to make my life easier when God's wanting to come and He's wanting to change my heart. He's wanting to come as as the Savior through the power of the Holy Spirit to save me from my sin. He's wanting to to create in me a clean heart. He's wanting to to work out these things in my life. And, And so, though He may not change my outward circumstances, though He may still allow me to go through difficult times, things that I don't understand, problems, trials, all of these things, He wants to be there in the midst of it, to be my consolation, my comforter, to bring me peace and to bring me hope, 
Jesus wants to show up in the midst of what we're going through. But I learned from Simeon that I need to be wholehearted about seeking Jesus. You can't just go halfway. Like, like it says in Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Simeon was searching with all of his heart. He only wanted to see Jesus. And once he saw Jesus, he was ready for his life to come to an end. That was what his life was all about, seeing Jesus. That's what I want my life to be all about, seeing Jesus. You know, there have been a lot of different things that have distracted me in my life. I remember, for one, you had an amazing Pathfinder club here at Templeton Hills back about, I don't know, 13, 15 years ago, something like that. And I remember going to my first bike-a-thon. For those of you that haven't been in Pathfinders, the bike-a-thon is where you ride around in a circle for one day and you, you have sponsors who pay you money for riding around in a circle one day and, and kids get really excited about this. And, and on that day, you can hopefully ride over 50 miles and you get your first honor. And then if you ride over 100 miles, you get your second honor. That's like higher category. So... The first time I went to the bike-a-thon, I rode and I rode. And I, the day before, somebody had told me about, you should ride 100 miles. That's a really good thing. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to ride 100 miles tomorrow. And so that day I got out. I got up early and I'm riding around the track. And I'm riding as hard as I can, riding around, riding around. Well, my mom wasn't there that day. And my dad was there trying to be a good dad. And the other parents in my Pathfinder Club from Oakhurst were telling my dad, you need to get your son to eat. And I would come around and my dad would say, hey, you, you need to, to get off the bike. You need to take a break. You need to, to eat. And I'd say, no, no, no. I just need to keep riding. And so I'd keep riding. And then I'd come back around. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to get you food. And on the next lap, you have to stop. So I just kept riding and I came back around and here comes my dad and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like veggie burgers and corn dogs. And he sits me down and has me eat these things and my stomach is just so full. I get back on the bike and I'm still trying to go. I rode 96 miles. I know, it's very sad. Four miles, they closed the station before I could do those final two laps And I missed out. I got home and my mom said, next year, you are riding over 100 miles. See, she knew some people from this Pathfinder Club. There was, uh, and I I had met some from the Pathfinder Club here in Templeton. There was Aaron who had ridden, I don't know, 130 some miles that year. And Nathan had rode the most miles for Pathfinder. I think Aaron was past the Pathfinder age at that point. And Nathan had had ridden well over 100 miles. And, and these guys, they trained all year long and they knew what they were doing and they rode hard and they didn't stop to eat corn dogs and veggie burgers on their way. <laughs> so I decided that that year I was going to do whatever it took in order to ride farther. Because the bike-a-thon, I mean, that means everything, doesn't it? So every day after school, I would come home and I'd get on my bike and I'd ride up and down these hills. I'd ride for an hour or so every single day. And then I had some friends at school who told me, you know, if you change your diet, you're going to be able to ride even better. I said, really? What, what do I do? And I said, well, you know, maybe you want, might want to consider like stop eating a lot of dairy products and, and you should stop eating refined sugar. And they told me all these things. I'm like, really? Those are my favorite things to eat. What am I going to eat? 
So they began to help me figure out some different things to eat. And I said, well, it's worth it. I mean, it is the bike-a-thon after all. So I changed my diet. I stopped eating the things I wanted to do. I began training. Everything was focused on that one day. Throughout the year, I'm riding, I'm riding, I'm riding. And when it got to the bike-a-thon the next year, God helped me to ride further than I'd ever ridden before. Finally got past the 100 miles. And it was a great experience. But you know, I think it was in this last move that Leah and I ended up getting rid of some of the trophies and things from that bike-a-thon. You know, they really don't mean that much to me anymore. The bike-a-thon isn't such a big deal. And yet I was willing to devote so much of my time, so much of my energy, so much of my focus. It was the same way in high school. In high school, when it got to volleyball and football practice, and pretty soon you're, you're spending from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. at school, you get there in the dark and you go home in the dark, and you're training for all these sports events, and that was my entire focus in life. And yet everything in life that you focus on, that you throw yourself into, that's not Jesus, never satisfies. found that again and again in my life, and it ran up going to a lot of sad situations because I was always focused on trying to find fun in life, trying to find a thrill in life, trying to devote my life to all these different things. But if only I'd learned the lesson of Simeon, saying, I just want to see Jesus. That's what I'm living for. And once I see Jesus, that will complete my life. My life is all about Jesus. Simeon's story continues in verse 34 of Luke chapter 2. It says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. Now this is a blessing from Simeon, but listen to what he says. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, the sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Wait a second, Simeon. I thought you were blessing these parents right now. You were blessing this child. And here he is saying that this child is destined for the fall and then the rising of many in Israel. He says that a a sword will pierce through your own soul, Mary. That that this child will reveal hearts. What is this talking about? Jesus himself said that he's the, the chief cornerstone in Matthew 21. He says that those who fall on this rock and are broken, that they will have life. But but that those who are crushed by this rock are going to be destroyed. Jesus wanted for us to realize that we need to recognize that when Jesus comes into our experience, it can be a humbling experience. It may not be all the glory that we're expecting of, of Him destroying the Romans in our life. Jesus wants to work a transformation that starts in the heart. And that sometimes takes a humbling experience. And it's not until you have fallen and been broken on the rock, until you've died to yourself, to the old nature, when you can finally experience that resurrection. That's the word that is used there in Luke 2 when it says the rising of many in Israel. It's a resurrection. Jesus wants for us to experience a death of that old life and a brand new life. That's what it's all about. In 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5, Paul tells us in verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. Paul, in all of his missionary journeys, all these incredible things that he did, he said, it's the love of Christ that compels us. For if... Because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus came... Not so that I could live my own life in the way that I want, but Jesus came so that I could live my life for Him. All out, fully devoted, 100%, just wanting to see Jesus. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to reveal to our hearts how so often we're distracted and we're confused by so many other things. If you go back to Luke chapter 2, Verse 35 says, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus' coming revealed the hearts of so many people. From that very first priest who dedicated him there, it revealed that his heart wasn't willing to humbly accept his God that he held in his hands. To Simeon, who it revealed that those who are looking for, those who are waiting for Jesus, that Jesus reveals Himself to those who are seeking Him with their whole heart. But not just that. As Jesus goes on in His life, we realize that Jesus' life was to reveal the hearts of the entire great controversy that we're involved in. Jesus reveals the heart of Satan, the deceiver, who we thought this world offers us so much, that there's so much to live for in this life. And as Jesus went all the way to the cross, it revealed that Satan's plan is terrible. That it just causes death, it causes pain, it causes agony. And Jesus went to the the point of dying on a cross so that He could reveal to us the incredibly terrible nature of sin. That it could reveal in hearts, that that to follow the enemy is painful, that it causes death, that it causes harm. But Jesus also came to reveal the heart of God Himself. The heart of a God who saw a planet in rebellion against Him. Who saw a planet that was shaking its fist at its Creator and who said, I want to save that planet. I want to do whatever it takes to save that planet. We were a planet that were just as confused as baby, running as fast as we could away from God. You read throughout the Old Testament and and God tries to reveal Himself in all these different ways, all these manifestations, and, and we're always confused, always running away from God. So in John chapter 1, after John describes how the Word was God. The Word was with God throughout eternity. John chapter 1 and verse 14 then says, but the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus? Imagine the day before Jesus was born. 
Imagine as Jesus is there in the throne room of heaven. He has all power in the entire universe. Jesus who's created everything. Jesus who has everything that we could possibly dream of. Jesus who is the King of kings. The Almighty God of the universe. As Jesus is there looking down at this planet. He's looking at Mary and Joseph and He says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to become a baby. A helpless human child. The King of the universe. The God. He's going to come and become a human being. Can you imagine the thoughts that must have gone through Jesus' mind at that point? But Jesus was willing to do whatever it took because He saw you and He loved you. And He said, I'm not just going part way. I'm going all in for their salvation. I'm not holding back at all. I love what it says in uh, The Desire of Ages, page 25. It says, By His life and His death, Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin. In Christ, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. Isn't that amazing? Through Jesus and what He did, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. It, in taking our nature, the Savior has bound Himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. Never to be broken. His stepping down into humanity wasn't just for a partial moment. It wasn't just for a certain time period. But He said, I'm willing to go and be forever changed for these people. Through the eternal ages, He is linked with us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, John 3.16. He gave Him not only to bear our sins and to die as our sacrifice, He gave Him to the fallen race to assure us of His immutable counsel of peace. God gave His only begotten Son to become one of the human family forever to retain His human nature. You see how that reveals hearts? It reveals God's heart of love that He would step down into humanity forever changed because He wanted to save you. He wanted to be close to you. He wanted for you to have a Savior. He was willing to do whatever it took. He was wholly devoted. And as I see that, it reveals something in my own heart that so often I hold back a part of my heart. I want to live my life for what I want to do and for also coming to church on Sabbath and doing a few things for God. I want to have both. But Jesus didn't, didn't sit in heaven and try to save us from there. He came all the way. He was wholeheartedly devoted to saving you and me. And this Christmas, He's looking for wholehearted disciples. People who are wholeheartedly looking for Jesus because Jesus is coming soon. We're living on the eve of the second advent of Jesus Christ. He's coming back soon and and Jesus is saying, is there anybody who's wholeheartedly looking for me? There have been Adventists throughout history looking for Jesus, searching for Jesus, waiting for Jesus, expectantly hoping for the coming of Jesus. But now to us, who are living on the very eve of His coming, how should we live? How should we live in expectation of Jesus coming? Today, I invited Brian to come and share a little bit of his testimony because as I've heard what Brian is doing and his family 
in going and sharing the gospel in Thailand, I realized that they're going wholeheartedly. They're going fully, wanting to dedicate their lives to Jesus. And I think that's what it's all about. That's the heart of Simeon, and that's the heart that Jesus longs for each of us to have. Morning, church. You know, after when he asked if I would share, I I accepted, and I guess I didn't have a full understanding. I didn't know what the message was going to be. And after listening to it, I feel very unworthy to be standing here. Um, You know, I wish I could get up and and talk about how my life so I can resonate with Simeon and the, the wholehearted devotion that he has. Um, you know, but as, as Pastor Zach shared, I too am so often trying to do what I want to do and kind of unite that with what God wants me to do and, and somehow make those two things work together. You know, my wife and I, a year and a half ago, or two years ago, when we decided um, that God had led us to, to leave everything here and to go into the mission field, um, if, I, if I'm honest with myself, in my heart there was a selfishness there. And I didn't realize it. There was a desire that I learned later um, to, to make something for myself. You know, we got over there and, and we found there was so much division among missionaries, among Adventist missionaries. There was, I don't know how to describe it, I don't really need to. But we were seeing it. We were new and so we're sitting and observing it from the outside and, and I was judging these people, and I was saying, you know, why is everyone so divided? Why can't we all just be connected? We're all trying to work towards the same goal. And so I asked someone who had, who had been a long-time uh, AFM, I don't know what they call them, like a leader over a, of an area, and I asked him about all this division. And he said, well, you know, many missionaries that go into the field, they, they have a good heart and want to serve, but deep down the real desire is to set up a... Uh, something for themselves, to leave a legacy, is what he said. They want to to be like Hudson Taylor and say, you know, I did this. And I was asking him in context to these other people, but you know what, when he said that, I realized that that same desire was in my heart as well. And I had this desire for myself in this service to God. You know, as opposed to Simeon, I can more relate with the disciples who were often fighting about who is going to get the best seat next to Jesus? You know, that, that was my desire going in, was trying to, to build something for myself. And so in this, in this work of serving God, the real root of things was in me and what I could gain from it. And you know, talking with that man and, and counseling, he gave me some, some help and some guidance there was a quote that I read in The Great Controversy that really, uh, that really affected me in regards to that. It's found in Great Controversy, page 651. And I'm just going to read a short section, but it's referring to Christ. It says, He whom cherub and shining seraph delighted to adore humbled himself to uplift fallen man. You know, the mission that Christ had when He came was to not benefit Himself. He was already exalted. But He was willing to give up all of that so that we could have the opportunity to be exalted. 
And that was something that God spoke to us. That that was what He wanted us to do in going over there. Even though we had a selfish, or I had a selfish motive in going, underlying what we were doing, God knew that through us going over there and seeing the condition of things, seeing and understanding, meeting people who had never heard of Jesus and who were living their lives in hopeless despair, trying to work their way to a better life in their next life. God was able to show us our selfishness and, re- and the realization to ourselves of how blessed we were to know God, to have the blessing of peace. You know, in no way am I perfect, but I have peace in knowing that when I do stumble, that I have a loving Savior that I can go to who can offer me forgiveness. And when you meet so many people who have no concept or no idea of that concept, it really makes a change in your life. You know, when I first, when I first uh, joined this church, I was in a very high place in my life, in myself. I had become a Christian two years before, and I came in knowing nothing. I became a Christian through reading the Bible from the first page and just started reading it like a book. I didn't believe in this God that everyone talked about, but as I read His Word, He changed my heart from the inside. And I was, I was so excited that I was talking to other people about it. And that was purely Him, because I'm terrified of talking to people I don't know. I'm terrified of public speaking. But God was putting in my heart this desire to share with others. I didn't, you know, in Jeremiah, um, we've been studying Jeremiah, so it might be fresh, but it talks about, Jeremiah said, I would not share about God anymore. And he said, but his word was like a fire within me burning and I couldn't hold it back. That's how I felt. But as I shared with people, you know, they kept telling me that I was wrong about so many things. I was telling someone, inviting me to dinner for pork chops. I said, well, you know, the Bible actually says we're not supposed to eat pork and and they said, oh, you're so confused. You know, that's the Old Testament. And so I joined a church. And I began going to a church so people could help me and give me guidance. But, you know, through that, not through joining a church, but Satan was able to start to get a hold of me. And I was able to start looking at the people around me and realize that they weren't reading their Bible and they didn't really know much. And so I started judging them in regards to that. So when I joined this church, I was so excited because I found the people who knew everything. So now I could be one of those people too. And I went out and I was doing Bible work and, and I, I was sent to AFCO and then I learned even more. And then I knew everything. And I went into Bible work with, with somewhat of that attitude. Like, we need to go out and save these people because they don't know anything and they're just completely ignorant and lost. And while there are many people who are ignorant, there were a lot of people that I learned so much from. And I remember sitting at one woman's house and she had come to the evangelistic series that we were doing. And, you know, she agreed with everything. She, she actually had been an Adventist when she was 18. She had come across the Seventh-day Adventist church. She had gone through a seminar. She had joined the church. But she had some medical issues and she had only a few feet of her intestinal tract. And so she said, when they were talking to me about health, I was trying to do all these things and live this healthy lifestyle and eat these things, but you know, my body was not accepting it. And, and so I, I, I had to politely tell them that I couldn't go with all of this and I had to eat some of these things. And she said, and they shunned me and they turned me away and they were, they were very you know, offended by me. And so she stopped going. But she still, her house was full of Ellen White books, and and she was just this loving person. But we were sent to her house to get her to make that decision. 
because in the way that that our view was, you know, if she didn't make that decision, then she was choosing something else and she wouldn't make it. And so my partner and I went into her house and we were sitting and talking with her and, you know, going back and forth and she's sharing and she's just smiling and happy and just talking to us and, and we're saying, yeah, but, and, and trying to show why what she's saying is not right. And it was going back and forth and then all of a sudden I just stopped. I felt God told me to be quiet and, we, and I was sitting and listening and my friend who's sitting there, he's going back and forth arguing with this woman. And she was just so humble about it. She was so loving. She observed the Sabbath, but she couldn't come to church at certain, on certain weeks because a strip club in town allowed her doing, during business hours to come in and to have the stage to preach. Now, it was open for business. Men were coming in and expecting to see a show. And she stood up front, fully clothed, and shared the gospel of Christ. She worked with the prostitutes in that area. And, and we sat and we realized, or I realized in talking with her or listening, that this woman knew Christ. She understood the love that he had for her, and it was expressed in the love that she shared for other people, in the desire to bring them to know Christ. And, and then I started, I don't know, I guess taking sides, she would say something and my partner would start to say something back and I'd say, well, but you know, and then, and then I'm kind of, it seemed to him on her side and when we got in the car, he was very angry and he, he told me so. But the next day, I went to go and, and uh, cash a check and I, they asked for ID and my license had been expired. And so I had to wait for a whole week to get a new license and so I couldn't do anything. And so I sat at home and I was reading the Bible and I was praying and I was studying with my, my partner who was living with me there. And you know what? Christ just became more... I understood His love for others more. Everything that I was searching, I was studying out love. I was seeking to understand. You know, I understood mentally the concept. Just like I mentally understood the concept of the 2300 days and all these other things. But like Pastor Zach was sharing, in the heart, that hadn't made a big change. I could have explained it to you. I shared it with all kinds of people. But it was so that I could kind of say, you know, yeah, I got it. I was able to share that. I showed that person what was right because they were wrong. It wasn't about this person might be lost. And God maybe has placed me right here because I'm the only one. Or I'm the one who He has put there to share with them so that they can come to a saving knowledge of Him. You know, it was through the work of ministry, of sharing with other people, that God was able to show me my defects and that I was really able to grow in my heart. And I think, in my personal opinion, and I have a lot of Scripture to back it up, that's the reason why He has given us this great commission. While yes, there are lost people and He desires them to be saved, the Spirit of Prophecy says that He could end the work in one word. He gives us the, the, the ministry or the, the opportunity to go and share because that's what changes us from within. We come to a greater understanding of His love for others as we go out and work for others. You know, there's nothing special about myself or my family as I said, I feel really unworthy to be up here. I've met so many more people who have given up so much more and are doing far more in their lives. 
But each of us has a purpose and a goal. When I say that I'm not worthy, then I'm saying that what God has done in and through me is not good enough. But you know what it is? It might not be what someone else has done, but we all have our own calling. And God has a group of people that He desires each one of us to reach. But it's easy to say, well, I'm kind of shy. I don't know so much about the Bible. What if somebody asked me a question that I don't know? I used to have those same, those same arguments. And you know what somebody said to me one day? God is not trying to make you look stupid. He's on your side. He's not going to send you to that person who has all the questions you don't know the answer to unless there's a purpose in it. Unless He wants you to study those things. Dedication and devotion are things that come through individual choices that we make each and every day. God directs us and guides us in something and we accept that or we don't. There's so often that I don't and I go the other direction. But as we read it in the Old Testament, just like the children of Israel, God is faithful and He takes that when we come back to Him. He takes us back and He continues to guide us and bring us on. He doesn't say, okay, well now you need to earn your way back up to where you were because you fell down here. He didn't take the children of Israel all the way back to Egypt to start over every time they fell. He accepted them right where they were and He continued them along the way. There's there's so much that Satan manipulates in our minds. Guilt, fear. He tries to, to tell us that our dedication, our devotion is not legitimate whenever we make a mistake. He says, you're not really wholeheartedly devoted to God because look at what you've done. But God doesn't see it that way. He's desiring us to continue and to move forward. He just wants us to make the right choice in each decision that we make to move forward with Him. You know, I, I, learned, I learned in Asia, actually, um, that sometimes it's better not to prepare for a message as far as sitting down and making out a sermon um, because God, God sometimes has something that He wants to say, and I'm so caught up in what I want to say that um, that He doesn't get His word in. Um, so I'm grateful that I was able to share this morning. The point I'm making is that I didn't prepare something to say today, and so I'm just going to end with that. But yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brian. He's very humble about what they're doing. Um, But last week, what struck me, I was the week before last, he's sharing similar presentation, I think, to what he's going to share tonight. You don't want to miss tonight exciting stories about what God is doing in Thailand, exciting stories about the mission work, and and just a challenging focus of, of what the gospel challenge really is in Asia. But he was having a question and answer time, and one person raised their hand and said, so how long are you staying in Thailand? When are you coming back? And he said, well, before we went last time, we sold most of our stuff and we just kept what we could pack in our car. And this time we're, we're selling our car and what's in it. 
And then we're going back to Thailand. And that's it. And that hit me. Am I willing to do that? God may not be calling me to go to Thailand, but God is calling me to wholeheartedly devote myself to the work that He has placed before me. Not holding anything back, not having just like this little reserve so I can come back for it. Selling the car too. Saying, I'm not even coming back for that. I'm going to Thailand all in. And it may not look like this beautiful, perfect picture of wholehearted devotion that's just that he knows exactly what his mission is in Thailand, but he's going. And he's devoting he and his family's life to serving God in Thailand. And I think that's what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 2 when he said, let this mind, verse 5, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this same attitude, this same mind be in you that Jesus had. That day before he stepped down to become a baby. That day before he was born in that stable in Bethlehem. Let this same mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. God is looking for you and I to be wholeheartedly devoted to sharing Jesus with this world so that he can come back. He wants us every single day to be wholeheartedly looking for our comforter, for our consolation, to be looking for Jesus and to be sharing Jesus. He wants you and I to have the heart of Simeon. In the book Education, page 262, it says, The heaven-appointed purpose of giving the gospel to the world in this generation is the noblest that can appeal to any human being. And it opens to the field of effort to every pastor and Bible work. Sorry. It opens a field of effort to everyone whose heart Christ has touched. Not just to pastors, not just to Bible workers, but to you. To spread the gospel wholeheartedly, devotedly. Jesus didn't reserve heaven so that he could step back and take off humanity. But he said, I'm going to become a human being forever for you. So the question is, will you and I say this life is all for you, Jesus. My career is only there as an opportunity for me to have a platform to tell the world about Jesus. My schooling is only there so that I can learn and share Jesus wherever I go. My family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Jesus is looking for from you and I this Christmas. The question is, Will we wholeheartedly wait for, look for, devote our lives to Jesus? If that's your desire, then I want to invite you to stand with me as I pray. Precious Savior, we stand in weakness knowing that so often we get distracted so often we're more like that priest who completely missed Jesus, but we don't want to miss you. 
We want to be wholeheartedly looking for You. And we want to devote our lives to sharing You. We want to do whatever it takes to be the generation that shares Your incredible love with this world. Lord, we want the entire purpose of our lives to be like that of Simeon, that we could just see Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would fill us with that heart Because of ourselves, we can't stir that up in ourselves. But I just ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on my friends this Sabbath and in this week and each and every day as they wake up and they make a fresh dedication to you. As we enter a new year where we make a fresh commitment to you, as we dedicate our lives wholeheartedly to you, Jesus. We just ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That it would be the love of Christ that compels us so that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him died for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.